0: Child, I My sins have been cast in the depths of the sea. I have been washed in the stream of salvation in I have good news, your sins are forgiven. They're farther away as the East is from bed. But now and gave me the stream and salvation and all his death. Good Sunday morning. welcome to Forgiven, the weekly radio broadcast of Northeast Baptist Church of Danbury. We're happy that you tuned in today, and we hope you will find the program beneficial to you. Now, here's our pastor, Joe Bassett.
1: There's a man in the Bible named Hezekiah. He was the king of Judah, and he was a good man. In fact, the Bible says there was no other king like him. Hezekiah was such a good man that it's so surprising to me that he made one of the most selfish statements in all the Bible. It's one of the most selfish statements I've ever heard. It makes no sense to me that such a good man could make such a selfish statement as the one that King Hezekiah made. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. King Hezekiah had been very sick, deathly sick. But in his illness, he prayed and wept before the Lord, and God had healed him. Word of Hezekiah's illness and his miraculous recovery had spread all through the land of Judah and even into surrounding nations. People began to send gifts, and messages of encouragement, and congratulations to Hezekiah. In the middle of all this, a group of men showed up in Jerusalem representing the king of Babylon. They brought letters and gifts from their king. And King Hezekiah was so flattered by their visit that he gave them the royal tour He showed them everything, his palace, his wealth, his soldiers, his weapons, the temple of the Lord. There was nothing that Hezekiah didn't show them. And finally, it was time for these men to say goodbye and head back home to Babylon. As they were riding off down the road, King Hezekiah was standing there waving goodbye. The prophet Isaiah walked up to Hezekiah and said, who were those men? hezekiah said oh they were from babylon the king of babylon sent them here to bring me some gifts and to relay his best wishes to me wasn't that nice isaiah said well what did you show them hezekiah said oh i gave them the grand tour i showed them everything isaiah said king hezekiah you've made a huge mistake hezekiah said how so isaiah said now the king of babylon knows all your wealth and all your secrets. And after you're dead, the armies of Babylon will come and destroy Jerusalem, steal all of its wealth, and take your descendants back to Babylon to serve the king of Babylon. Now here's where we find that extremely selfish statement I told you about. When the prophet Isaiah said, Hezekiah, after you're dead, the armies of Babylon will come and destroy Jerusalem and plunder and kidnap, Hezekiah said, Good. Isaiah said, good? How is that good? And Hezekiah said, it's good that all that is going to happen after I die. I won't be here to see it. Hezekiah, you've got to be kidding. It is absolutely baffling to me that such a good man could be so extremely selfish as to say, I don't care if destruction and devastation come to my children and my grandchildren as long as I'm not here to see it, that is the epitome of selfishness. But I have to tell you, that's the attitude of far too many Americans at this moment in history. It's becoming more apparent every day that we won't be handing to our children and our grandchildren the amazing country that was handed to us. We know that the constitutional liberties that set us apart from the rest of the world and the opportunities and the blessings that we inherited, we know that these things are being ripped away from us right before our eyes. We know that by the time our children's children become parents themselves, our beloved country won't look anything like the country that our grandparents gave to us. Any thinking person can see that. But because we're so comfortable, because we don't want to be unpopular, because we don't want to be inconvenienced, Because we want to retire in peace, we look the other way and say, good, as long as it doesn't happen while I'm alive. And we are every bit as selfish as King Hezekiah was. And Bible-believing Christians know something even worse than what I just described. We know that when a society becomes as depraved and corrupt and defiant against God as ours has become, that we leave God no alternative but to judge us. If you don't know the Bible and you don't look at history from God's perspective, maybe you've never heard that before. But if you know the scriptures and you have a God-centered worldview, then you know very well that the judgment of God is pending. And still, Christians make God their last priority. We ignore the Bible day after day. We can't be bothered to get out of bed and pray. We find a hundred reasons to not assemble with God's people, as the Bible clearly describes and encourages us to do. We're fully content to be the lukewarm Laodicean church that the Bible foretold. It's pretty obvious that we're not much different than King Hezekiah. Our children are destined to live in a nation of oppression, tyranny, and poverty. But hey, it won't happen while I'm alive, so that's good. The only possibility of handing a free nation, blessed of God, to the next generation as it was handed to us is for God to step in and do a miraculous work in the hearts of millions of American people, a miraculous work that opens our eyes to the truth, a miraculous work that causes us to repent of our godlessness, our self-centeredness, our blatant wickedness, A miraculous work that causes us to turn to God and beg for mercy. The only possibility of handing a free nation blessed of God to the next generation is for God to do a miraculous work in the hearts of millions of Americans, a work that gives us a spirit of repentance, a spirit of turning to God with all of our hearts. Well, you say, if that's what we really need, why doesn't God just do it? Because at this point, if God did that, he'd be doing it against the will of a majority of Americans. In fact, evidently, he'd be doing it against the will of a majority of American Christians. If our nation as we know it is destroyed, it'll be because Christians made no effort to repent. Because hardly any Christians humbled themselves before God and pleaded for him to step in. The only possibility of handing a free nation blessed of God to the next generation as it was handed to us is for God to step in and do a miraculous work in the hearts of millions of American people. I believe in political efforts. I'm 100% for getting involved in getting the right people elected and influencing our elected officials for righteousness. I believe in education. I am 100% for teaching people our American heritage, the principles of liberty, making sure they know the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, making sure we teach them to our children. Proper education is essential. But our number one priority as a people is to get right with God. Our nation was prayed into existence. We've been sustained by prayer. And our only hope of continuing is for God to step in and do a miraculous work in the hearts of millions of American people. In Psalm 80, there's a statement that is made three different times in verse 3, verse 7, and verse 19. It says, Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. That's a prayer that ought to be on the lips of every Bible-believing Christian in America every day. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. That prayer is asking God to send His people a spirit of repentance. What is repentance? The simplest synonym of repentance is turning. To repent is to turn. The word repent literally means to think differently afterwards. When you have repented, you think differently than before you repented. You've made a conscious an intentional turn. And the turn that we desperately need to take is to turn to God. We need to turn away from our arrogance and turn fully to God. We need to turn away from our selfishness and turn fully to God. We need to turn away from our spiritual apathy and turn fully to God. We need to turn away from our materialism and turn fully to God. American Christians need to cry out to God every day, as David did, and say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The American church has no greater need, no other need at this very moment, than to be caught up in praying for a spirit of repentance, for a wave of repentance to sweep through our churches. The church's greatest need is not for better marketing. Its greatest need is to pray for a spirit of repentance. The church's greatest need right now is not for better graphics and video. Its greatest need is to pray for a spirit of repentance. The church's greatest need is not for nicer buildings, or for a better band and more trendy music, or for more skits and plays and dramatic productions. The church's greatest need right now is to pray for a spirit of repentance because the only possibility of handing a free nation blessed of God to the next generation as it was handed to us is for God to step in and do a miraculous work in the hearts of millions of American people. And the only way that'll happen is if American Christians plead with God to sweep through our churches with a spirit of repentance. The Bible says in Romans 13, verse 11, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Christian, can't you feel the spiritual urgency in our culture? Can't you feel how the opportunity to fully turn to the Lord is slipping away from us? Do you not agree that the time has come to abandon our casual Christianity, to stop our bickering among believers, to turn to God with our whole hearts, and to plead for Him to send a spirit of true repentance through every Bible-believing church in our nation? We experienced this kind of sweeping spirit of repentance in the American colonies in the mid-1700s. It came to be known as the Great Awakening. What emerged from the Great Awakening was two kinds of churches, two kinds of Christians. One was nicknamed the Old Lights, and the other was called the New Lights. The Old Lights were those who rejected that spirit of repentance and clung to the church's status quo. While the New Lights turned to the Lord with all their hearts, brought His blessings upon their lives, obtained new hope, new perspective, new vision, and laid the spiritual foundation for the birth of our nation. That's what a sweeping spirit of repentance looks like. That's what Bible-believing Christians have got to beg God for right now. During the summer of 2020, our church began to devote a few minutes when we gathered to getting on our knees and praying for the spiritual condition of our nation. Every Sunday and every Wednesday, we spent a portion of our service inviting everybody present to go to the Lord in prayer confess America's sins, and plead for His mercy. Eventually, we added a separate prayer meeting on Saturday morning, where for 30 minutes, we do nothing but plead with the Lord to forgive our national sins and turn our hearts to Him. Our unofficial theme verse for these prayer meetings has been Psalm 80, verse 3. Turn us again, O God, and cause Thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Well, since we began doing that, I've bowed before the Lord hundreds of times and asked Him to send a sweeping spirit of repentance through our nation's churches. As I have, the Lord has consistently impressed two great thoughts upon my heart. First, that only He can make that happen. No effort of mine, no organizing, no advertising, no preaching on my part can cause a spirit of repentance to overflow in our churches. Second, that I've got to focus on me, my heart, my sin, my pride, my apathy, my self-reliance. I can't control anyone else's heart. And I can't ask God to affect anyone else's heart unless I'm willing to allow God to break me down, to search my heart, to show me what I haven't yet surrendered to him. The more I pray earnestly for God to work in America, the more God shines the light of examination on me, on my heart, on my life. And so my prayers have changed since we first began to pray. Now I find myself pleading with God, Dear God, please bring a spirit of repentance to my heart. Show me how wicked and rebellious against you I really am. God, please show me how selfish I am, how carnal my walk is, how much I'm driven by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life instead of being filled with the love of the Father. Lord, please show me how much my life manifests the works of the flesh instead of the fruit of the Spirit. God, please show me how much apathy there is in my heart towards you, towards your word, towards your ways, towards your work. Please, God, bring me to the end of myself. God, please teach me to go to the cross with all of my heart and die to sin and self every day and allow Christ to live through me. God, teach me to surrender all and to hunger and thirst every day to live filled with your Holy Spirit. God, send a spirit of repentance into my heart. Turn me again, O God, and cause Thy face to shine, and I shall be saved. Saved from my own lukewarmness, from my own powerless carnal walk. And may you do such a thorough, lasting, spiritual work in my life, that it overflows to the rest of the people in our congregation so that they will cry out passionately to you and say, Dear God, please bring a spirit of repentance to my heart. Show me how wicked and rebellious against you I really am. God, please show me how selfish I am, how carnal my walk is, God, teach me to surrender all and to hunger and thirst every day, to live filled with your Holy Spirit. Send a spirit of repentance into my heart. And may you do such a thorough, lasting spiritual work in the hearts of our church people that it overflows to the Christian people in every Bible-believing church in the Danbury area. Listen, Christian friend, can you imagine the impact that it would have on the city of Danbury if Bible-believing Christians from dozens of congregations throughout our area were daily calling out to God in prayer, in a spirit of repentance? I don't know every church, and I don't know exactly where every church is coming from doctrinally, but I know this. Every church that believes and preaches that the Bible is God's word, that Jesus is God the Son, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that Jesus rose again from the dead, that Jesus is coming back to take all believers to heaven, and that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Every church that believes and preaches these core Christian doctrines, you are my brethren in Christ. We're on the same team before God, and I love you in Christ. And I believe there are dozens of churches in Danbury and the surrounding area that hold to those basic doctrines of Bible Christianity. Can you imagine the impact it would have on the culture of our city if believers in every one of those churches were overcome with a spirit of repentance before God? If born-again people in every congregation cried out regularly and passionately, Dear God! Please bring a spirit of repentance to my heart. Show me how wicked and rebellious against you I really am. God, please show me how selfish I am, how carnal my walk is. God, teach me to surrender all and to hunger and thirst every day to live filled with your Holy Spirit. God, send a spirit of repentance into my heart. May you do such a thorough, lasting spiritual work in our hearts and in our churches that it overflows to the Christian people in every Bible-believing church in the state of Connecticut so that all throughout our state, Christians are crying out to God in prayer saying, Dear God, please bring a spirit of repentance to my heart. Show me how wicked and rebellious against you I really am, God, please show me how selfish I am, Lord, please show me how much my life manifests the works of the flesh instead of the fruit of the spirit. God teach me to surrender all and to hunger and thirst every day to live filled with your holy spirit. Send a spirit of repentance into my heart, and may you do such a thorough lasting spiritual work in our hearts that it overflows to the Christian people in every Bible-believing church in the northeastern United States so that all throughout our region, people are bowing before you and praying with all their hearts saying, Dear God, please bring a spirit of repentance to my heart Show me how wicked and rebellious against you I really am. Please, God, bring me to the end of myself. God, teach me to surrender all, to hunger and thirst every day to live filled with your Holy Spirit. Please send a spirit of repentance into my heart. And may you do such a thorough, lasting, spiritual work in our hearts that it overflows to the Christian people in every Bible-believing church in America. You say, that could never happen. In 1857, the North Dutch Church in Lower Manhattan was about to close its doors. In a last-ditch effort, they contacted a businessman named Jeremiah Lampier to come and help them get their attendance back up. Mr. Lampbeer knocked on the doors of thousands of homes, inviting people to church, but not one person came. So then he tried something else. He printed thousands of flyers, advertising a one-hour prayer meeting at the church building on Wednesday, September 23rd at 12 o'clock noon. He passed those flyers throughout the neighborhood. He put a sign out in front of the church building telling about the prayer meeting. On September 23rd at 12 o'clock, Nobody showed up. So, Mr. Lamphere knelt and prayed by himself for 30 minutes. At 1230, as he continued to pray, he heard footsteps. Another man walked in. A few minutes later, someone else joined them. When the prayer meeting ended at 1 o'clock, there was a total of six people there, including Jeremiah Lamphere himself. So, they met again next week. At the second prayer meeting, there were 20 men. And the next week, there were 40. The next month, they changed it from a weekly prayer meeting to a daily prayer meeting. By the following January, they had to add a second room to hold the crowd. By February, a third room. And by that time, there were at least 20 prayer meetings being held at noon throughout the city, including a prayer meeting in a 3,000-seat opera hall that was filled to capacity with people praying every day. By the end of March... Every church and public hall in downtown New York was packed every day at noon with over 10,000 people meeting to pray. Daily noon prayer meetings spread to major cities across America, and it's estimated that as a result of these prayer meetings, over a million people put their faith in Christ in 1858 and 1859. But it didn't begin as an evangelistic campaign or as an organized effort. It began with one man praying by himself. And I didn't share that as a model, but simply as evidence that it can happen because it has happened. The only possibility of handing a free nation, blessed of God, to the next generation as it was handed to us is for God to step in and do a miraculous work in the hearts of millions of American people And the only way that will happen is if American Christians plead with God to sweep through our churches with a spirit of repentance. Christian, will you be the person in your church who decides to passionately seek the Lord on a regular basis, pleading with Him to make you everything that He wants you to be? Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't even know what it means to be a Christian. Being a born-again Christian simply means that you know that your sins are forgiven and that God has given you everlasting life. Well, how is that possible? Simply by taking God at His word. God says that He loves every person in the world. The Bible says, God so loved the world. But God says that every person in the world has sinned against Him. It says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God warns us, That our sin carries with it an eternal penalty of damnation. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took our penalty for us when he died on the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the Bible says. And now, God promises forgiveness of sins and eternal life to everyone who pleads guilty to their sin and believes on Jesus for themselves. It says, Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you made that choice? Would you like to make it now? Then just talk to God right there where you are. Tell God, Dear God, I have sinned against you. I'm sorry. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Right now, I'm receiving Jesus as my Savior. Jesus, come into my life. Take me to heaven when I die. Help me to know you while I live. Amen. If you made Jesus your Savior just now, congratulations. If you were already a believer, let me urge you to seek the Lord every day with a spirit of genuine repentance. Thank you for tuning in today. God bless you. Have a great week.
0: The people of Northeast Baptist Church, thank you for spending a few minutes with us this morning. We appreciate your time, and we hope that you enjoyed the Forgiven broadcast. If you'd like to contact us with a comment or a prayer need, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at forgiven at nbcdanberry.org. Or you can call the church office at 203-798-7088. We invite you to join our live stream service this morning at 11. You can watch it at nbcdanberry.org on our Northeast Baptist Church Facebook page or on our YouTube channel. If you enjoyed the radio broadcast, you'll love our church services. We'll see you again next Sunday morning at 7. God bless you and have a great week. I am the child. I stand here